Hey folks, uh, this is Dr. C and welcome to my office hours and it's uh, Barry and I in the office today and we're going to be talking about something that's a little bit heavy and a little, uh, but it, it's, I don't know, one of those perennial subject matters that keeps coming up in the news from time to time and that is the Confederate flag. Yay. That's um, so cool. I'm so glad we're talking about this. Barry, that is not in the script that I wrote you. I will thank you to uh, stick to it. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, so, all right. Um, Barry, you are not a Southerner, correct? Well, I mean... No, you're not. Um, not in the traditional, the colloquial way of putting it, no. But I am from the... I mean southern states in the sense that it is one of the most southern states in the united states like you have to go to texas to go more south than where i'm from you're west of new mexico is west of texas so no <laughs> well i mean yeah in that sense uh i am not a southerner but uh, yeah southwesterner southwesterner okay. yeah uh, a southwesterner that's that's fair and the reason i bring this up is because you now live in the uh american south with me not with me we don't live together um <laughs> but <laughs> i'm sorry i just got an image oh, of what the that things that would create uh human calamities uh that is one of them for sure well, I mean, you, you did live beside me for a little while, so you know if, that is true. If that, that if, is true. If that had been a prolonged situation, at some point it would have uh, probably. Devolved. And you, co you you consented to that situation. I I, I will say it was. Uh, I did. That was my act of charity for the year uh, for twenty twenty. Uh, I was a vagrant. Yeah. Those times. Back to the the most Mo uh, yeah. inspiring topic ever, right. uh, the, so, the rebel flag. Okay, so let's talk about the rebel flag for a second. And people are wondering why uh, I want to bring this up now. Um, it's because it's actually, it's connected to the stuff that we see in the news, even when it's not clear. Uh, and, you know, we see discussions about the rebel flag come up from time to time. We see discussions about Confederate monuments come up from time to time. Uh, as we record this, this is just... Uh, within a few uh, weeks of three events that are tied to associations with the rebel flag, and that is the Kyle Rittenhouse case uh, in Wisconsin, uh, the Ahmad Arbery case in Georgia, and the uh, Unite the Right uh, rally case against uh, Richard Spencer and his uh, compatriots, which is, I think, ongoing still in D.C. Yeah. And none of those feature the Confederate flag prominently, but they are all associated with this notion of uh, violent enforcement of racism and particular ideologies that are compatible with the Confederate flag. And so right. I, I got this question on Instagram from someone who asked, is it possible for the rebel flag? And when we say rebel flag, I'm referring to any combination of the stars and bars, any of its variations. The Confederacy had three particular flags, but those are not the ones most often flown. Usually we see a variation of the battle flag of the Northern Virginian Army, which was mm -hmm. Robert E. Lee's flag uh, that is often displayed. The one you go to Myrtle Beach and you see like, you know, swimsuits and beach towels, you know, in this sort of motif and pattern. Um, <laughs> <laughs> go Myrtle Beach. <laughs> um, and and so, like, because it pops up from time to time and because people from the outside of the South are often a little confused at just how prominent it can be around here or this iconography can be, I wanted to address this question of can its meaning change over time? Because signs and symbols, by their very nature, 
are open to multiple interpretations. They are uh, right. They're not static. Yeah, they're not. They're they're changing based off of context. There is a plurality of meaning, and they are what's referred to as polysemic. Polysemic meaning multiple interpretations that can be valid, typically speaking. Mm-hmm. So then how do we reconcile that? And for clarity, the reason I bring up, Barry, whether or not you're a Southerner, because obviously I know that you're from New Mexico and therefore not native to the uh, colloquial South, that is to say that the areas we refer to as the South that were a part of the Confederate States of America. Correct, yeah. Um, have you, did you have much experience with iconography of the Confederacy before moving to this part of the country? Yeah, no, there, there's a difference for sure in, in uh, having boots on the ground as mm-hmm. opposed to... Um, seeing from afar. I, you know, grew up in a town, uh, in my hometown is a small town that had a Confederate monument up until 2014, 2013, somewhere Mm -hmm. in there, uh, Mm -hmm. when someone knocked it down. Um, It was alleged to be an accident. Um, If it wasn't, I'm not going to blame the guy. Uh, My only, my only sadness surrounding it is that that was a hundred plus year old monument that I think should have been preserved and put in a museum somewhere, because I do think that these things belong in museums where we can have discussions about them and where they're not in the public view and therefore not uh, echoing this uh, sentiment of intimidation that is often you know felt by communities of color. Um, right. But as a as a person of color who's grown up in the South, you know, I've seen uh, Confederate flags at pretty much every stage of my life, uh, mm-hmm. whether mm-hmm. it's the flags or the icons or things like that. And of course, whenever you bring up the Confederacy and people who identify as Confederates, which is a thing, um, I used to have a friend who uh, considers himself, which is part of why we're not friends anymore, considers himself a sort of neo-Confederate. Interestingly, uh, alongside being a American patriot, which is there's a certain wild contradictory duality there that I just don't know how to wrap my head around. Um, But, yeah, people will say, well, it's, you know, it's the heritage, not hate, that kind of thing. And so that kind of gets this idea of whether or not the flag can be reinterpreted in ways that are not inherently racist. Yeah. Um, Now, Barry, what. what do you know about the sort of post-Civil War South and its relationship to these images? I I would say post-Civil War South is a good example of this principle of polysemic meaning in, in symbols and iconography, right? That, like, to some extent, uh, this iconography has shifted since the Civil War, um, not in a good way. Uh, mm-hmm. In fact, it, it it became a way of kind of doubling down on on racist sentiments and, and things like that, and and used specifically to try and reinforce those racist sentiments. Um, as far as I've understood, it, it, the attitude has been kind of well, if we can't secede from this union, we're we're gonna double down on on what it is that we really want here, and mm-hmm. um, and our iconography is going to help reinforce and and stand as a symbol for our our desires within this society and how we how we we being the the um white upper class of the the southern states to you know we're this is this is how we want to structure our society sort of a thing yeah and that's an interesting distinction um the point about being white and upper class and sort of identifying as uh the descendants of people who fought in the confederacy and what that means as a collective identity because it obscures a lot and so yeah 
Um, in the initial years after the Confederate, after the Civil War, a lot of the leadership, uh, people like Robert E. Lee, for example, and I think, um, I think uh, uh, some of the, oh, what is his name, the vice president who wrote the Cornerstone speech. Um, oh, anyway, shoot. the vice president of the CSA argued, uh, along with like Robert E. Lee and some others, that. In an attempt to, you know, facilitate national healing, they should put away, you know, the images of the CSA because, you know, putting up memorials, carrying the flags, that kind of thing was only going to um, create a problem. It was only going to worsen the divide that, would, that they're trying to recover from. Right. They lost. They accepted it. It is right. ta- now time to, you know, lower the banners, that kind of thing. Uh, and then a few decades after that, because the war ends in 1865, um, a few decades after that, in the 1890s, the United Daughters of the Confederacy says, hey, what if we do a sequel? <laughs> right. So yeah. their thought right. was uh, and this was also dovetailed with a um, with a propaganda movement called the Lost Cause, where they sought to mm-hmm. reframe and recontextualize the Civil War, not as a war uh, about preserving slavery. Right. That wasn't the point. They argued that the war was a the war was over an overreaching federal government that was oppressing the South, that was acting unilaterally without uh, any sort of input from the South. And yeah. the truth of the matter was the straw that broke the camel's back, at least in my understanding, and I'm not a historian, but as I understand it from historians, one of the things that led to the Civil War was the fact that there was a alliance or there was a voting block of non-slave owning states that could get things done without input from the South. And of course the primary thing that they were concerned about was the South was concerned about was what would happens when these folks try to take away our slaves, we should go ahead and, you know, try to end our, our union, our membership in the union. Yeah. So it became recast from a war to preserve slavery, which is in the foundational documents of the CSA. Right. Um, The articulations of secession from the original states that seceded all say the same thing along the lines of we are trying to preserve slavery. That is what we are explicitly trying to do in the cornerstone speech. um, The vice president, uh, Alexander Stevens, that's his name. Uh, Uh, Alexander Stevens argues that, you know, the Confederacy is the first nation founded on the, as he put it, the great philosophical and scientific truth that the enslavement of Africans to Europeans is the natural order of things. Right. Um, So that was, unequivocally their goal but part of what the united daughters of the confederacy uh with some help from the sons of confederate veterans which was the male analog Mm -hmm. uh right they engaged in a propaganda campaign to rewrite this narrative to say that well no it was states rights which is where you get the idea of like well no you hear people now say well it's states rights that's what they were fighting to speak to the effectiveness of that campaign that was literally what i was taught in high school history was that that was the issue of the civil war and anyone who says that it was about slavery doesn't really understand what this was all about mm-hmm. um that that was what i was taught like for I, formally and tested on right yeah. Yeah. And that was a part of their that was a a legacy of their propaganda campaign because they had textbooks written and they lobbied with state governments to say, hey, uh, make sure that when you address the Civil War, you cover it in this way. And in exchange, will, you know, like donate, you know, whatever it is they, you know, to campaigns or for politicians, that kind of thing. And it worked in these, you know, a lot of southern states, I think almost all of them adopted a perspective of teaching the curriculum in this way. And when I think about how I was taught. Uh, the civil war or the war between the states or the war of northern aggression, 
I don't remember clearly how it was discussed. I do recall, I think, somewhere along the way being told that, or it being framed as uh, it was a war of the Northern aggression because they fired on Fort Sumter first, right? Gotcha. Kind of leaving out the fact that the South had seceded and in that doing stolen federal property. <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We're not going to get into reasons why shots were fired. But... Right. Just that we should know <laughs> that the first shots were fired by the Yankees. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, <laughs> yeah. So... I mean, I, it's funny because I, I feel like that discussion is is had in the same way and fashion that the... Uh, did, uh, did Boba Fett shoot first discussion Han, goes? Han, you fake Well, nerd. right. Did Han shoot Wait, first? Wait, no, no, but... Well, yeah, but, like, he's talking to... No, he's not talking to He's Boba talking Fett. to Greedo. Greedo, right, yeah. I am a fake nerd. I'm, I am a fake nerd. I, I've never claimed to be a real nerd. I, I will say that I've never claimed to be a real nerd. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I... Uh, I do feel like that discussion does have some sort of a, like, yeah. it ends up happening in a similar fashion as that discussion of, like, uh, did Han shoot first? As if we could, like, reshoot the movie and yeah. uh, just, like, have it, have events happen differently so that we can feel different about our characters. Well, really, and, that's all it, That's all we actually care about. Do we right. feel good about Han? And the honest question to whether or not Han shot first is, well, which version are we watching? Right, right. Right, because in the original, he does. Han shoots first. Uh, and then after the fact, George Lucas didn't like the idea that Han was being framed as like, you know, that the made aggressor. him look like he was the aggressor, that he was some sort of cold-blooded killer. So yeah. he edited it in one of his updated versions. And then, yeah. So like, so when I go to the theaters as like an 11-year-old, when they re-release the original trilogy in preparation for the uh, prequels that are coming out at that time uh, in 1999, uh, I'm like, oh, Han didn't shoot first. Greedo did. And, and no. <laughs> and that's... <laughs> well, and, my 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 thought is the way that that scene this is going off on a tangent but my my thought has always been that scene is is filmed in a way where it shows han getting ready to fire he's yeah. ready for the aggression whether he knows that it's going to happen or not yeah so does it matter at that point like i i feel like the character is developed in a way where he's he's ready to fight regardless and so he's he's aggressive he's already aggressive who cares the willingness to take greedo's life was already there yeah (laughs) like yeah um and when he does return fire it's not even like a second thought it's yeah. not there's no hesitation it's just a smooth pull of the trigger he's not um, he's not shocked by it yeah he's fine yeah yeah he knew how that conversation <laughs> was going to end when greedo sat yeah. down at the table right um so but that's actually a really good point right because the original argument the original or the original uh aspect of history is that the south were the aggressors by virtue of seceding and opting to you know go for violence Um, even if they didn't actually shoot the first shot, they were still, you know, breaking the union. And so, uh, but the way that we're taught, it's very much in a defensive way. It's like, well, you know, we didn't fire until after they did. It's it's a little more. Yeah. That's a distraction from the point. Yeah. 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 And, and why were they trying to secede again is another thing that they tried to obfuscate. So then you have starting in like the late 1890s, you have, you know, decade after decade until the modern day still of like you and I 
uh, being educated in school yeah. in a way that either uh, places all the blame on the North, completely romanticizes the South, or at the very least makes the South out to be more sympathetic than it actually was. Right. And so... Well, and, and yeah. that goes back to this idea. I mean, I, I feel like I've grown up with this... Um, back and forth of feeling resentment for the South for being super racist, but also trying to be sympathetic to the, the Southern cause for in the civil war, which like it. And, and I, I think that confusion kind of left me ambivalent to like current day events about like, uh, I, I don't know. It, it's just really strange. But I, I think it comes back to, like, who's in charge of the narrative here and mm -hmm. who who benefits from this narrative being as confusing and um, hard to wrap your, your mind around as far as, like, what, what you're being taught. And, and it's the upper-class white people who are running things, you know? And, and yep. uh, it, I, I don't know. It's, no, I, it's that's crazy. That's an interesting distinction, and it connects back to what you said earlier about you know the upper middle class, or the upper and middle class white folks who choose to identify in this particular way, or at least they champion this voice. There are people from all economic levels uh, who tend to identify as Confederates, and it also connects back to, like I said at the beginning, what's going on with uh, the Kyle Rittenhouse case, the Amara Aubrey case, and the uh, the all the Unite the Right case, um, because right at during the Civil War, and this is something that I didn't learn about until I was in college, um, a lot of the South, uh, this, the South did not secede all at once. Places like North Carolina, yeah. for example, were holdouts. They did right. not originally align with the cause. Um, and in large part, that is because these uh, most of, there was a vote, there were two votes for whether or not the uh, North Carolina should join the, uh, the Confederacy. The first time they voted no, and it was largely because uh, a lot of the people who were, you know, professional laborers, tradesmen, yeomen, that kind of thing, were not interested in supporting a cause for slavery yeah. because slavery was an economic threat. Right. You can't you can't compete with free labor. Right. right. So they didn't want to take any part in it. And then after the firing on Fort Sumter and uh, you know, maybe a few months into the war itself, when the actual battles were happening, uh, and at that point North Carolina was caught between Virginia and the Confed and South Carolina. Um they there was another vote and they were able to whip up enough, you know, anti-union uh, sentiment that, you know, they joined the cause. But even then, the North Carolina broke out into multiple factions. Uh, you had people yeah. who were pro-union. You had people who were uh, pro-Confederacy. Uh, and then you had third parties that were just, you know, outlaws, marauders, bandits, people who were trying to take advantage of a chaotic situation or were their own forms of like self-defense for, you know, the vulnerable people. It, I, I feel like that further highlights who who was motivating the the Southern cause for slavery uh, all the more, right? That like mm -hmm. there there isn't this unified white voice that was saying um, saying yes, absolutely, all of us want slavery because it actually conflicted with uh, tradespeople and 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 people of lower classes. Um, because it, it it didn't benefit them directly right like no. and it took propaganda to whip this into turning it into a, a cause that was above and beyond just an economic gain for mm -hmm. for a small amount of people in order to like get everyone in, in into it right it, they yeah. had to turn it into an ideological 
um, mm-hmm. uh, cultural value that that mm-hmm. uh, uh, transcended just uh, a few people making a whole lot of money. Yeah, it um, there was a huge poor and often homeless population of white Southerners who couldn't find work because slavery was in effect. So not only did you have the horrors and the tragedy of slavery and all the abominable things that happened uh, as a product of that enterprise, uh, you also had people who were starving to death, who were um, things like uh, anti-vagrancy laws, right? Or loitering laws, or Mm -hmm. it was illegal to not have a home residence. It was illegal to not have a job in some states and some counties, in a lot of states and counties. And the purpose for that was to scoop up poor white Southerners to put them in prisons so that they could be slave labor again, right? It was another form of uh, the carceral state leading to uh, forced labor. The more that uh, upper-class whites could could turn um, turn racism into a system of power that marginally benefited lower-class, uh, middle and lower-class people to, to mm-hmm. join onto, that, you know, the more attractive it became to actually support this cause for slavery, right? Like, yeah. I once it becomes a system where, hey, well, you know, I could benefit from getting on board with this in some way, like, at yeah. least by aligning myself with those who are more powerful, right? Like mm-hmm. I, then, then it becomes a little bit more attractive, and 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 so on. And so you incentivize it, where you punish yeah. those who don't align with this this uh, powerful group of people, and and you reward those, even if it's with scraps. You reward yeah. those uh, who who do, right? Even if that reward is, I'm not being punished. <laughs> yeah. So, for example, you have then people who are, you know, conscripted or who join the Confederate Army because it's a way to eat, it's right. a way to make money, and that they can, you know, provide for a family, that kind of thing. Now, right. and this is an interesting point of contention that sort of trickles down into. Uh, our current day when people say it's heritage, not hate. And folks will say that, well, their their ancestors fought on the side of the Confederacy, and so they're upholding that lineage and that legacy. Some will even point to, like, journal diaries or ethnographic accounts that we have from the people who fought who say things like they were doing it for whatever reason that may or may not be connected to the idea of wanting to preserve slavery or the concerns over what happens if you let black people free. For some, it's just a very real pragmatic choice. Like, right. it's that or starvation. Mm-hmm. And I I do not discount that at all. And I understand why people would feel an emotional attachment to it. At the same time, you have to recognize that even if you join, even if these soldiers joined so that they could have clothes to wear, feed a family and, you know, make something of their lives so they didn't starve to death and, 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 you know, die alone. Every shot they fired was in service of preserving slavery. Every bayonet run through a Union soldier was spilling American blood and done to preserve slavery. Both both things can be true at the same time. Um, Personal causes are, as as I uh, read somewhere and I'm fond of saying, uh, God forgives, the state does not. Like yeah. your personal intentions matter on some level, but they don't erase the impact of the things that you do. Right. Um, yeah. And so it's uh, and, and in that same vein, you had people who chose not to join the Confederacy, mm-hmm. you had uh, people who who seceded. And actually, there's an interesting parallel there between um, one particular historical event that was the hanging of 10 folks in Kinston, North Carolina, uh, and the. Uh, Unite the Right rally and what Kyle Rittenhouse did. Now, mm-hmm. are you familiar with the hanging in Kinston? I'm not. So I think this is 
I forget when in the war this is. I'm, I want to say it might be post Gettysburg, um, mm. but forgive me if I'm if I don't have that accurate. But uh, General Pickett of the Infamous Pickett's Charge uh, at at uh, the Battle of Gettysburg, um, he returned to Kinston, North Carolina, and found that there was a group of young men who had left the Confederacy, and I believe they had left the Confederacy to join the Union. Mm. Why, I'm not entirely sure, but I do know that they were secessionists from the secessionists and decided to, <laughs> you know, reunite with the Union, I guess, for lack of a better Inception term. level yeah. uh, secession. Pickett yeah. decides to make an example of these men and hangs them. Ten young white men hangs them on the mm-hmm. courthouse lawn in mm-hmm. front of, you know, God, country, and everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's an example of white supremacy taking white people and sacrificing them, killing them Mm -hmm. for the cause. And we saw with Kyle Rittenhouse, the three people that he killed were white American men. Um, And at the risk of attributing any sort of intention or motivation that may not be, may or may not be there. I know one of the gentlemen was struggling with mental health issues. Uh, And so, but at least two of them were there in support of the Black Lives uh, Matter uh, uh, protest that was happening at the time. Mm -hmm. And, Rittenhouse appointed himself as a defender of the local property. And remember, that's what slavery was considered. The people who were enslaved were considered property. So mm-hmm. this was so what Pickett did in making an example of these men in defense of a cause for preserving property is not entirely dissimilar from Rittenhouse's, you know, going to a environment with the with a long arm rifle, right? Uh, with an assault rifle which has its own sort of rhetoric, right? If he were carrying right. a concealed handgun, that would be, that would be a different kind of self-defense carrying a, uh, a rifle like that. Uh, I would suggest has a certain public rhetoric to it. Of course. And, yeah. and then, you know, killing uh, two and wounding a third. Um, so yeah, these white folks stepped out of line and they were set back in place the same way that, that Pickett did with those young men. Yeah. And the same thing with uh, Heather Heyer in, um, in uh, uh, Charlottesville at the United Right Rally, she was right. putting life and limb, and ultimately lost her life uh, in the defense of fighting against white nationalists and white supremacists and Nazis with tiki torches. Mm-hmm. And then that domestic terrorist, uh, you know, ran her over uh, and, and hurt a bunch of people and killed her. Um, so again, you know, white folks stepping out of line and white supremacy putting them back in. Yeah, the the largest the largest mass hanging in, in United States history was in Gainesville, Texas during the Civil War. Um and I believe the majority of the people hung were um were white and it was because they were not willing to get on board with the Confederacy. And and you know there were a lot of other folks. Uh one particular inspiring story is that of the Red Strings who were a mostly Quaker organization, but they were southerners who were uh, they were white Southerners who were spying for the union, who were spying for the union. Excuse mm-hmm. me. Um, and so, you know, there's you know stories about uh, them passing information, that kind of thing, and the the stuff that they risked. Um, that being said, um, so when we think of white supremacy, it isn't just you know three men entrapping a, a black man as he's jogging in Georgia and then executing him mm-hmm. in um, in de facto justice as they saw it. What was a modern day lynching? Um, it's also 
you know, keeping other white folk in line. And so going back to the original point of this conversation, when we talk about whether or not the Confederate flag can be reinterpreted and whether or not it's changed, you have generations of information where uh, people are learning from textbooks in classes from what are supposed to be credible sources. In many cases, or in some cases, the only education, formal education that they'll have, that that's what it was about. Mm -hmm. And then to hear from other segments of the community whom they've been largely insulated from by virtue of uh, intentional, formal, and informal segregation. Yeah. That actually, no, it's it's not. It's something else that's horrifying and terrible. And you think about all the crimes that were committed under the uh, under those banners by like the KKK and other hate organizations. Um, like that's got to be a shell shock, right? Yeah, right. And to people forget that when it comes to cognition, our brains are more often than not. Um, wanting to accept the first thing that we learn. And so the second thing that we learn that challenges that creates a sense of discomfort. Right. And that's difficult. So while I, I don't, I do have short patience with people who are, who actively reject the information that is presented to them because I, I have, I've made TikToks and stuff about stuff like this. And I'll even, I've even read from the, uh, from the cornerstone speech where they make, where Alexander Stevens makes that argument about like, this is what we're about. Yeah. And people will say, well, no, no, that's not the case or whatever else. Um, I was talking to a cousin years ago about this sort of stuff. And I read from the articles of secession where like, I think it's Mississippi yeah. or Texas says in no uncertain terms, no, no, we're here for the slavery. <laughs> right. um, Texas has some weirdly eloquent uh, language about uh, siding with with crimes against humanity. Yeah. <laughs> That's on it's, brand for Texas. It's <laughs> weirdly poetic, a lot of divinity, which I expect. But like, you know, I, I don't want to like read a document that justifies, you know, a, a egregious sin and black mark on human history and also go, oh, man, that was really well written. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, uh, well, you so, know, actually, it, uh, it, that that can that tradition I, though not yeah. entirely unique to Texas, has continued in Texas. Uh, I think it was 2000, uh, what was it, 2018? No, 2015, uh, the mm -hmm. state of Texas was sued by the federal government for the second time um, in, in for violating the constitutional rights of the children mm -hmm. that were a part of its foster care system. Um, mm -hmm. And... Uh, Attorney General Paxton's response to that uh, lawsuit and and is is again, unfortunately, really nicely worded obfuscation yeah. of all of it and doesn't address any of the. Po oh my goodness, it's just crazy and yeah. tries to justify the entirety of it. It's just there are a few things as in my opinion as uh, dangerous in civil society as an articulate and erudite racist yeah <laughs> uh, no so, joke no joke so when like i said when people are confronted with that information and they just reject it outright i don't have a lot of patience for it by this point because uh i you know we've talked about this before academia ages you um dramatically <laughs> uh and but when people encounter it for the first time and they're uncomfortable with it and it makes them feel like they don't know how to feel, I get that mm -hmm. because they are having to unlearn something that they learned. And because and built an identity like, around oftentimes and built an identity around. And also, as Americans, we take an enormous amount of pride in things that dead people did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we have a lot of ego involvement in that, you know. 
Well, like, there's also a spirituality or a rel religiosity tied to our history oh, yeah. as Americans, right? Uh, I mean, um, there, there's a, a large, again, a propaganda movement that started since the beginning of the founding of our, our country that has uh, turned the founders of our country and those we later deem as some kind of founder of, of our country yeah. um, demigod status, right? That they yeah. were somehow half... Uh, half on the earth as well as half in heaven at the same time. They they somehow yeah. knew things that the rest of us couldn't ever know. Um, that's it makes that's it hard to to confront those topics if you are also strongly holding on to those beliefs. That was one of the things I appreciated about the game Bioshock Infinite because I don't know if you've played it or not. <laughs> no. Um, so and it, it's 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 a fun game it's a it's a fine game. it's just you a know, turn I, enjoyed... I didn't expect us to make when talking about the demigod status of george washington <laughs> well no it's because george washington and other founding fathers are held up as demigods as like more than mortals uh in that game in the game is basically the idea is that like in some parallel dimension uh a religious zealot um creates a steampunk sort of like super patriotic absolutely fascist and 100 percent racist dystopia uh, utopia in the sky yeah and so like there's this there's these like mu this museum where the founding fathers are held up basically as just like just above hercules and just below jesus yeah um and <laughs> at the risk of mixing my pantheons and uh yeah, it's but but it, you can see where like this is clearly taking inspiration from reality. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Well, so that yeah, I mean that's that's part of the problem with uh, you know learning the history of George Washington in general. It's really hard for people mm -hmm. to to see him as just a man who had opinions yeah. and had interests that were selfish. Just like yeah. a lot of people at the time, we'd like to think that he, he was born ready to make a country that God wanted to mm -hmm. have established. And um, really, mm -hmm. uh, this was a guy who wanted to crack into the aristocracy. And this was his yeah. this was one of his ways of doing so. The other way was marrying the woman that he married. But whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, right, he, right. <laughs> he really wanted to be part of the upper crust. And, uh, you know, hey, but, he was willing to then... go to great lengths to do it. And even at the beginning, he didn't want to join. Like they had to write him several times. I forget who it was that wrote him letters, but he was the first time. They're like, "Hey, look, a bunch of the guys are getting together to to plan a revolution. You want in?" Yeah. And he's like, "Hard pass. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> like, I got a good thing going. I ain't trying to mess this up." Right. <laughs> well, and and he learned a little bit from the French and Indian War as well. Like that was yeah. that was yeah. that was tough stuff, and he only Dude, gained yeah. a certain amount from it. Two two things, guys. One, I'm sitting pretty cushy, and two, war sucks. Yeah. <laughs> like, I know y'all are like mostly in your twenties at this point, but you know, it it sucks. Also, yeah, I can just not do that and still live a good life. Uh, so right, yeah. right. So it, as we as we pull this episode to a close, um, to go back to the original <laughs> question of like, can a God, this conversation is so many taking so many turns. Um, can the Confederate flag? be interpreted in multiple ways i would say yes if you choose to believe a falsehood uh i recognize that people have an emotional connection to uh images of the, of the uh of the confederacy i recognize that some people want to honor ancestors who were fighting and dying for a cause that they believed in 
at the same time, we can recognize that those were things that happened and that even if those soldiers were fighting to just put bread in their mouths, in the mouths of their family, they were still fighting to preserve a crime against humanity. Uh, yeah. And if you're going to accept one, you have to accept both. Otherwise, you're being intellectually and emotionally dishonest. Um, so, yeah, there are multiple meanings to the flag, not just in the good and bad. There's other aspects of it as well, like the kind of bad or what the bad means or things like that. But, yeah, you can like it's a war against propaganda that was amazingly effective and widespread and uh, that feeds into our current discussions about like whether or not critical race theory is even being taught in schools and all that kind of stuff and the ideas of history. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I feel like if you're, if you're going to really try and die on the Hill, the, the Confederate flag should have some sort of a, a heritage outside of the, the civil war effort to um, preserve slavery, then you should be working really hard to try and end the propaganda around the Civil War yeah. and try and like actively change what the Confederate flag means rather than sitting on it and and really like doubling down on everything that makes the the current rendition of the Confederate flag yeah. what it is. Well, and, and um, actually, I just was reminded, and I think this is a good note to end on, uh, the Young Patriots were an organization during the civil rights movement. They were largely made up of uh, transplant Appalachians who had moved from uh, the mountain ranges in West Virginia uh, to some of the cities in the Midwest, like uh, Detroit, and I want to say a couple other, maybe some places in Ohio, but largely in Detroit. Okay. And they sided with the Black Panthers. They were a part of uh, Fred Hampton uh, and his original uh Rainbow Coalition, combining the Black Panthers with the Young Patriots and the Young Lords and the Brown Berets, who were uh, Latino organizations, as well as the American Indian Movement. And mm. originally, um, the Young Patriots would use Confederate iconography in their protests. They were protesting for racial justice. They were protesting for workers' rights, all that kind of stuff. And at some point along the way, early on, members of the Black Panther Party said, hey, like, don't, don't do that. That's not that's not, you know, a good image. Um, here's what it means to us. And they were receptive and they were like, Oh, okay. Whoops. And then they didn't do it again. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. they, they went with their understanding. They learned something new and they changed their tactics because what mattered to them was solidarity with people who were being exploited as well as what was going to help their own folks yeah. become, you know, get out from underneath the heel of the oppressive work situations they were in. So, so yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't hold too strongly to the iconography that you, you yeah. forget what you're fighting for in the first place. And be open to new information and the perspectives of others. All right, folks. Well, uh, as always, um, you can find me on uh, TikTok at Dr. Dot underscore C, uh, Twitter and Instagram at GA Cruz underscore PhD. And uh, yeah, Barry. If you need to find me, you know where to go. Thornburgmedia.com. I'm always, always there. I don't know why, but that one just hurt. That one just hurt my feelings. I... <laughs> <laughs>